there is a massive movement or call to action rather going on in college football and brian kelly is at the forefront of it you are locked on lsu your daily podcast on the lsu tigers part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Well, thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. But, hey, don't forget that you can also find us on YouTube as well. So you can like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, all that great stuff on your preferred podcast platform or on YouTube. However you listen, where if you listen, whenever you listen, just appreciate you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every single day. My name is Caroline Fenton, and I'm your host, as I am every day. You can follow me on Twitter at Caroline Fenton one. Well, let's get into it because I think that this week has been an underratedly exciting week in college football because there's a lot of potential change that's going on. There are a lot of important questions or important conversations rather that are being had about the future of college football. I know I've said it so many times and you've probably said it so many times or heard it so many times. That we are living in a potential in 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 an unrecognizable era of college football. That if we would have said the words NIL and transfer portal and whatever else, if we would have said those words ten years ago, we probably would have thought that we were speaking a different language. Like, what in the world is that? What do you mean? What are you talking about name, image, and likeness? What are you talking about conference realignment? What are you talking about USC playing at Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Iowa this year? Those things would have been nearly impossible to believe. But here we are. And some of those changes are for the good. Some of those changes aren't necessarily for the bad, but there may be too big of changes that would cause too much commotion in the world of college football. Maybe those changes would take away what we know and love about college football, the foundations of this sport that we're all honestly obsessed with. And those conversations are going on in Washington, D.C. as we speak. Brian Kelly is part of those conversations. Nick Saban is also part of those conversations. Scott Woodward, LSU Athletic Director, is part of those conversations. Greg Byrne, Alabama's Athletic Director. Several athletic directors across the SEC, prominent figures, prominent names, prominent faces around the SEC are being part of those conversations. Greg Sankey is also part of those conversations. So what is it? Well, it is a demand in D.C., or a conversation, rather, in D.C., about federal oversight of name, image, and likeness. So a little bit of a background about that. When it was approved unanimously by the Supreme Court that college football players, college athletes, can monetize their name, image, and likenesses, it was very clear by the Supreme Court that in the ideas of capitalism, you cannot cap or inhibit the amount of money that a college athlete can make. So, Compared to the the NFL, for example. In the NFL, there is a salary cap because there is a a collective bargaining agreement and there is a players union for the National Football League. 
So the players and the representation of the players, they can demand things that they want in a, in, an, in a world of a salary cap. In college football, you don't have a players union. You don't have a collectively bargained agreement. You cannot have a salary cap, nor can you in any way impede the amount of money or an opportunity for college athletes to make money. And I think we've all seen that that's kind of gotten out of control a little bit. And maybe that's not fair to say. It's just gotten the toothpaste is out of the tube, so to speak. The genie is out of the bottle, to take words from Brian Kelly. And that was really emphasized this past week when Greg Sankey took the podium at SEC spring meetings and announced that California had just passed a bill to share revenue in California public institutions to their athletes. So what does that mean? It means that, and that's potentially, it hasn't been voted on, but the bill has just gotten one one step further. That means that athletes in in, uh, California public institutions will share the revenue that revenue sports make. So that means the TV deals uh, for USC or for UCLA or any other public institution in California will be split up amongst the, uh, the athletes at those institutions. And that is something that Mississippi State Athletic Director called a crisis. Why? Why is that a crisis? Why is that a big deal? Well, essentially, it would be the end of women's sports, non-revenue sports, because the revenue that, say, football brings into those institutions is divvied up among non-revenue sports to keep them afloat, to keep them alive. If you start to share that revenue with individual players, then there's just not enough money left over to keep women's tennis or cross country or swimming and diving. It's not enough to keep those programs afloat. The other thing is that now gives California, the state of California, the public schools, an inherent and overwhelming advantage in recruiting. And that is probably more emphasized for public institutions in, let's say, Arizona or Utah But it's true for every single state in America that there are now now players in the state of California that get recruited by LSU, that get recruited by Texas, that get recruited by name any other school in the country. There are plenty of five-star athletes that come out of the state of California that probably aren't going anywhere else because now they're guaranteed X amount of dollars every single year just based off of, of shared revenue. They don't have to do anything other than be an athlete in the state of California. That creates an obvious disadvantage for every other state in the country. It creates an overwhelming imbalance between California and every other state in the country. And it's not just California. Think about so many other uh, other states out there that have tried to give themselves advantages in the NIL space. For example, Tennessee, the state that I live in. I live in Nashville. Tennessee... In Tennessee, if you're a high school student, you can start earning NIL money. That's not the same in every single state. That gives those states inherent advantages. The state of Missouri. State, actually, that's where I'm from. I'm from St. Louis. In the state of Missouri, if you are a a, a Missouri athlete, a Missouri high school athlete, and you commit to an in-state school, you can start, you, you are guaranteed a certain NIL deal. You can, start cre- you can start making money in high school if you are a Missouri State high school athlete committed to play at a university 
in the state of Missouri, University of Missouri, Missouri State, so on and so forth. That creates an obvious advantage for the state of Missouri, an unfair advantage. So that is why Brian Kelly, why Nick Saban, why Greg Sankey, why several leaders in the SEC are now on Capitol Hill demanding change and demanding federal oversight in the NIL space. Because they're demanding parity. They're demanding that every single state operates under the same laws as far as NIL is concerned. That every state can do the same things. And I don't know what those things are. I don't know if that's every single state high school students can earn NIL money or not. I don't know if that's every single state, you know, there's going to be revenue sharing. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't think that there are a whole lot of coaches and athletic directors demanding that. But they want that to be the same across the board. That if Alabama can't revenue share, then neither can California. If Louisiana State High School students can't capitalize off of their names, images, and likenesses, then neither can Tennessee. An even playing field across the board, at least on the surface. Now when we get into collectives, and now when we get into opportunities for name, image, and likeness, so that's completely different. They're not saying that the the furniture store in Louisiana can't offer an NIL deal to Jaden Daniels because the furniture store in Knoxville isn't offering a deal to Joe Milton. No, no, no. That's not the case at all. They're not trying to put a cap on this at all. All these, these representatives from the Southeastern Conference are trying to do on Capitol Hill is say, we want an even playing field at the federal level. No more leaving it up to the states. What did Brian Kelly have to say about that? Because Brian Kelly said something to Paul Feinbaum at the SEC spring meetings that really caused me to think. And I'll go through that thought process with you coming up next. But before we do that, I want to tell you about bird dogs. Y'all know I love my bird dogs because not only do they make you look good, they've got stretch khaki shorts that are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a nice little sculpted, nice little snatched look, but they also are so super comfortable. They do the exact same thing as like Lululemon shorts might do, but they fit way better. They have a they have a better fit than regular shorts that might have a stiff or restricting cotton fabric. It's summertime. We live in the South. It's hot. I'm not trying to wear shorts like denim shorts that just stick to my skin. No, I want to be out in the 95 degree weather with 100% humidity and have my legs breathe a little bit, but I don't want to compromise look because of that. And hey, look, bird dogs are for men. I am not a man, (laughs) but I still have a pair of bird dogs that fit me so well because their fits are incredibly customizable, long, short, waist size, all of the above. So even me, somebody who does not fit the profile of a man, I have bird dogs that fit me perfectly and they are oh so super comfortable. They also... And if you are listening to this now, you get this opportunity. If you go to birddogs.com slash locked on college, you can get a free Yeti style tumbler. And I will tell you what I love. I freaking love my bird dogs Yeti style tumbler because I use it almost every single morning for my coffee because y'all know I'm, I'll be running late. I'll be running late sometimes. I don't always have time to brew my coffee, sit back with a mug and chill and enjoy. Nope. I'm running out the door every single morning. So I just 
grab my bird dogs yeti i fill it up with my coffee i'm out the door and it looks super cute too so again you can go to birddogs.com slash locked on college and enter promo code locked on college l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n-c-o-l-l-e-g-e for a free yeti style tumbler with your order that is birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free yeti style tumbler you won't want to take your bird dogs off i promise you so comfortable. They look so nice. I will be laying back in my bird dogs all weekend long watching the LSU Tigers and the Super Regionals. That is birddogs.com slash locked on college. Well, thanks again for making Locked on LSU your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And every day is coming up Monday on the podcast, a full breakdown of LSU, Kentucky, and the Super Regional. And I'm hoping that can come out on, on Monday morning. Because I'm expecting LSU to take it on Saturday and Sunday. So hopefully that's coming Monday morning. But I'll have a full breakdown for LSU's action. The Super Regionals coming up on the next edition of Locked on LSU. But like I mentioned, Brian Kelly, along with Nick Saban, along with Scott Woodward, along with leaders and officials across the Southeastern Conference, are in our nation's capital this week to discuss what a federal oversight of NIL would look like. Is it even possible? Because the Supreme Court made it very, very clear, very, very obvious that they didn't want a whole lot of oversight or a whole lot of um, interception from the federal courts. They wanted states to come up with this on their own. They don't want college athletes to have any sort of limit on the amount of money that they can make. But I think we've seen over the last two years of this NIL world that we have lived in, it's gotten to a nearly uncontrollable point. Now, I saw Peter Burns tweeted this out uh, this past week at the SEC spring meetings. He asked Nick Saban of the 52 weeks of the year, how many weeks of those do you think that you and your staff work seven days a week? And Nick Saban said probably like 44. That's ridiculous. That's insane. And that's not just because of NIL. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. That's just what the business is like. But in an NIL space where things are completely into the wild, wild west, where there is essentially zero governing body of this, that just makes that that much harder. And has to make Nick Saban and his people and every, and that's just not just Nick Saban, that's every single college football coach in America. It makes their jobs harder. So that's what they're trying to do. That is what they are championing for in D.C. is federal intervention in NIL. Now, Nick Saban, Nick Saban, Brian Kelly. Wow. We'll never mix those two up again. I promise that was not cool of me. My bad. Um, Brian Kelly sat down with Paul Feinbaum at the SEC spring meetings and talked about NIL, the space that we're living in now. When I first heard it, I had a red flag go up. But then I thought about it. And I thought about it a little bit more. And I'll explain what I mean by that. But this was Brian Kelly at uh, at the spring meetings with Paul Feinbaum. Everyone says the same thing about Congress. I mean, I, you, you, you have a great background in, in, in politics. <laughs> you, you, I know you're not expecting them to do anything. Well... Look, I think what's happened here is unintended consequences, right? Everybody saw NIL and felt like um, if I don't act in my own state, um, I could be left behind. And so we had legislation in different states that really, you know, put everybody in a position within this footprint of the SEC uh, at a different um, advantage point. 
uh, and that's not what the SEC needs nor wants. And so how do you bring everybody back together? Well, you need Congress for that. And so I think that's the next step is how do we get that? And I think you got to go individually to your own you know, congressional legislative team and, and, and really talk about where if we want national competition and we want to be, you know, the preeminent conference, we've got to get this thing. We've got to put the genie back into the bottle. Put the genie back in the bottle, which is something that when NIL first became a thing, I thought was impossible. I thought it's out. There ain't no going back. But Brian Kelly said now it's on us to sit down with our congressional representatives and figure out a solution for this. That's exactly what he did this past week. He, Nick Saban, Scott Woodward, Greg Byrne, uh, Alabama AD, Greg Sankey, they all sat down with Steve Scalise, which I believe it was Ross Dellinger that tweeted, oh, to be a fly on the wall in that, in that discussion, and oh, to be a fly on the wall for that meeting. Amazing. Chef's kiss. Um, but that's what they're trying to do. When I first heard that, a red flag went off. Because I have always been very cognizant uh, to, to pay attention to not just what Brian Kelly has to say about NAL, but really every college football coach. Because for the longest time, I felt that there were several college football coaches, or really every college football coach, that felt very apprehensive about speaking their true feelings about NIL out of fear of possible recruits or their current players hearing that and saying, okay, well, coach doesn't want us to make money. Coach doesn't like that we now can make money of our own. So when I heard Brian Kelly say that, that kind of, that thought came in my mind of, uh uh-oh, you know, don't say anything too loud. You don't want the wrong idea to get out there that, hey, Brian Kelly doesn't want his players to make money. But that's not the case at all. When I continue to think about it and think what Brian Kelly was saying, he's not, he is not, and Nick Saban is not anti-players cashing in on the brands that they have created for themselves. That's not the case at all. They are not against players making money and benefiting off of their names, images, and likenesses. That's not the case. And I don't think that we should continue to tiptoe around the fact that that's, that's, that's not what it is at all. The fact of the matter is we are in a really uncomfortable position with NIL as it stands because it feels like there's nothing that we can do, but there is. Like Brian Kelly mentioned, we're in a really uneasy, uneven, and unfair situation in NIL right now because now it's up to the states. It's up to state legislation to decide how it trickles down and affects that 16-year-old kid that you're recruiting a four-star linebacker that you're recruiting from Texas. It's up to the state legislature to decide how you move forward with that. And that's just frankly, not fair. College football will never be fair ever. The big only get bigger and the small might only get smaller. It's not fair that Alabama has Nick Saban and all of their championships to show for it when recruiting. It's not fair that LSU has some of the best um, facilities in the country and has some of the longest lines of NFL alumni to show for it. It's not fair to Missouri or Vanderbilt. It's, It's frankly not fair. But that's competitive advantage. When we're talking about legal advantage, because one state allows their state universities, their public universities, to do things that yours doesn't, now that's a problem. Now, a Mississippi representative called it a crisis. I am not 
well-educated enough on the topic to call it a crisis or not a crisis, but it's a problem. And if it's gotten this bad in two years, imagine what it's going to look like five years, 10 years, 15 years from now if there's no intervention. I'm proud of Brian Kelly for being at the forefront of trying to create change, trying to bring college football back to a place where we still recognize it while still keeping it in the 21st century, while still allowing players to benefit from the brands that they build for themselves, but not getting it to an uncontrollable state. I am pro players making money. I am pro your cross-country runner, quarterback, swimmer, tennis player, track runner, whoever it is, making money off of themselves. Look at what Livy Dunn has done for herself. Look at what Angel Reese has done for herself. You think that Livy Dunn or Angel Reese would be able to create generational wealth for themselves and their families just by playing their respective sports? <laughs> They've been able to do that for themselves. So I'm very pro that. I think that they should. But man, when we start getting laws into this, it's just state laws at that. It's too much. And I'm sure it's it's a big fear for a lot of these athletic directors and coaches at in any state at any level. There's a whole lot of political jargon and a whole lot of legal stuff. And this isn't a political, you know, it's not a political issue based in, you know, Republican versus Democrat, one side versus another. It's a college football issue with political undertones. But coming up next, it's a not a Wednesday, but let's get to some mailbag questions because I haven't been able to get to those yet this week. So let's get into those coming up next. Well, thanks again for making Locked in LSU your first listen every single day. Let's get into some of your mailbag questions. I've always usually done them on a Wednesday, but hey, it's summertime. I'm by, Let's just do it whenever. So let's get into some of your questions. First and foremost, <laughs> this one may be giggle just because it's – the situation is hilarious. One person asked the question, how do you feel about Trey Bradford's return to LSU for a third time and that is just hilarious whenever it's just stated point blank hey you got a player who's only in a second year in college football mind you is coming back to your program not just for the second time which is already crazy enough but for the third time now if you missed it trey bradford running back from the state of louisiana has decided to return to LSU for the third time. Excuse me, not a Louisiana native. He's from Texas, from Dallas. He was a four-star recruit in the 2020 class who committed to LSU in 2020. He came to LSU for the 2020 season, played that year, was on the roster that year, decided to transfer. He went to Oklahoma. Fine, great. Okay, so many players decided to transfer. Also, Trey Bradford, saw something in the 2019 season that he just frankly didn't get in the 2020 season. So if you wanted to transfer, wanted to go away from LSU, wanted to find, you know, a little bit more stability, um, a program with a little bit more success, fine. Like, no problem. So transferred to Oklahoma after his first year at LSU. Got into Oklahoma, went through spring practice, things looked good. And then after two months at Oklahoma, decided to come back to LSU. Now, Lincoln Riley after Trey Bradford decided to uh, 
transfer away from Oklahoma. And this was when Lincoln Riley was still at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley was asked about, you know, why, why after just two months he goes back to the program he just transferred from. Lincoln Riley said, and I, I, I remember this vividly because I laughed at it. He said, I have no explanation for you. Like, I wish I could give some insight into the situation, but I honestly just have no idea. And I thought it was strange. Trey Bradford transfers and just two months later, only two months comes back to Baton Rouge. And I think it would be one thing if he was from Baton Rouge, transferred away, realized, Hey, I miss home. This isn't what I thought. I want to go back to being, you know, where I, you know, closer to family, whatever it may be, but he's not, he's from Dallas, but maybe it was just, Hey, I thought I was going to find something better elsewhere. I didn't, I miss Baton Rouge. I want to go back to the team that I was playing for. Okay, fine. Okay. So go to the beginning of the season last year. This is Brian, like the very beginning of Brian, Brian Kelly's tenure at LSU. Preseason practice starts and he's not on the roster. And of course, you know, LSU reporters did their due diligence, asked about that. Brian Kelly says Trey Bradford has been separated from the university. Wouldn't really give more insight into that. And I don't think anyone really knew exactly what happened. At least I don't know exactly what happened. So he was separated from the university. I frankly don't know what Trey Bradford has been up to or where he's been this past year. But it came out earlier this week that he's coming back to LSU. So you commit to LSU, you transfer away from LSU, you come back to LSU, you're separated from the university, now you come back. So I have no freaking clue. I, I think it is so bizarre um, It's strange. It, but if this is where Trey Bradford wants to be, then great. Then he gets to be here. Um, so that's just a weird situation. I have zero insight and zero information about exactly what's been going on. I just think it's strange. It's unlike anything that I've ever seen before that a player comes back for a third time. But let's look at it from a football point of view. Um, we don't know the status of John Emery and his academics. Brian Kelly wasn't counting out that he could come back to the team if he at least got those grades up. You know, we semester is finished. He took his spring exams. I don't know the status of that. Armani Goodwin, Brian Kelly revealed about a month or so ago that Armani Goodwin might be back. He might not. Remember, Armani Goodwin was going through some injuries at the end of last season, got um, surgery at the end of last season. So you might not, in a real world, like let's be realistic about this, you might not have John Emery or Armani Goodwin. You have Noah Kane coming back. You have Trey Holly, a true freshman coming in. Also have Logan Diggs, who came in to LSU via the transfer portal from Notre Dame. But Trey Bradford is just in addition into the running back room, some depth in the running back room that you honestly might need, given these the status of Armani Goodwin and John Emery. So I think it's overall a good thing from a football um, viewpoint, from a football standpoint, but just bizarre, strange situation. But welcome back, Trey Bradford, for the second time. We missed you. Happy to have you back. Second question is very timely. And is very important considering it is the Super Regionals Eve. One question is, what are your feelings about the Super Regional? LSU hosting Kentucky for the Super Regional. Honestly, I feel a whole lot better about this baseball team now than I did two weeks ago. Because Thatcher Hurd showed me on that second game, or that first game against Oregon State, the second game of the Regional, that he is a legitimate go-to guy, that he can. I know he didn't start, and he wasn't a starting pitcher in that game. 
he came in in relief of Ty Floyd after that um, the weather debacle. But I think Thatcher Hurd showed you that he can be a legitimate starting pitcher in this rotation. I think Ty Floyd also continues to show us that he's got good stuff. Riley Cooper had a solid start in that second game against Oregon State on Monday. You didn't even see Javen Coleman over the weekend. So the pitching, you know, the status of the pitching uh, and of the bullpen uh, and of your, your starting rotations makes me feel a whole lot better. I think the offense looked really solid against Oregon State in both of those games against Oregon State. I said this on the on a podcast earlier this week. I don't think that the defense is elite. I don't think that the defense is anywhere near how good the offense is. But I think the defense has showed us that it can be clutch. When you need a big defensive play, when the pitching staff just needs to be thrown a little bit of a bone, defensively this team can do that. So I'm feeling good about this team. Now, Kentucky, they they beat Indiana in that final game, the regional 16-6. And man, oh man, were they feeling themselves. And looking at some of the videos, watching some of the videos of Kentucky baseball, maybe just roll my eyes and maybe want so badly more than ever to just to beat the just the crap out of them. Um, just because they were very celebrating, very showy, and I'm not, yeah, do your thing, have fun, Kentucky, celebrate your win, whatever, but you just yeah, rub me the wrong way. So I feel good about this team. I, I do. Kentucky is a good team. Kentucky is a solid baseball team. Let's go back to when LSU played them in the regular season. LSU run ruled them on Friday night, and I don't know if that was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. I'm just going to call it Friday, Saturday, Sunday just for the sake of argument. Ron Roldham, 16-6 on Friday with Skeens on the mound, lost that second game, won a close game on Sunday. So it's not like LSU dominated the entire series by any means. I do think that this this uh, this pitching staff has evolved since then, where you can eliminate maybe some of those close calls. So I feel good about this team going into this game against Kentucky. Having it at home, I think, is uh, incredibly advantageous. I mean, I know Alec Box Stadium is going to be pop in this weekend. Um, so I think that's absolutely a, a tally in the advantage column for LSU. So I'm feeling good. Honestly, I said it on my radio show today in Nashville um, that I expect LSU to take it in two games. Now, maybe that's just the cockiness <laughs> inside of me, um, but it's going to be a good series. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited to see what Jay Johnson pulls out of his sleeve this weekend. So looking forward to it. I will have a full breakdown all you everydayers, all the full breakdown of the Kentucky LSU series on the next episode of Locked in LSU.